Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're with us. Uh, we have some folks here. Um, some of you folks are walk- watching online. It's always exciting when we start a new series, starting a new series today called He Still Got the Whole World in His Hands. And today's topic is Nothing New. Um, this guy in the Bible wrote about 3,000 years ago saying there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, there's nothing new. I want to start with a question. Well, not a question, a comment. Uh, I'm going to ask you what you think about it. And here it is. If God is with you, then things get better. Is that something you agree with? Does that seem to make sense? Let me say the reverse. If God isn't with us, then things are going to get worse. Now, it kind of seems to make sense, doesn't it? Well, today I'm going to try and uh, convince you that that's bad theology. Now, we live in a very uncertain time, don't we? COVID just made everything uncertain made uh, Thanksgiving coming up is going to be uncertain. What do we do? Makes church uncertain. Uh, who should come and should we do children's ministry and when and how? And um, Of course, political issues, uh, the economy. Uh, it's just a very uncertain time. Well, I'm going to talk to you about, or we're going to look at, read a passage of Scripture from the last hours of Jesus' life. And... Um, Definitely a very uncertain time for Jesus and his disciples. Now, we call this, uh, they gather for what we call, uh, we, we call now the Last Supper in the upper room. Uh, they called it Passover. They were remembering something, something very significant in the history of, of Jewish people. Um, the Israelites had been in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And that's kind of, you take 400 years back in the United States, it would be back to the pilgrims, all right, something like that. So that's a long time, generation after generation, and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Do you think that those folks prayed to their God, Yahweh, that they would be able to be free from slavery? What do you think? I think millions of prayers got prayed for freedom over those 400 years. Um, God answered that prayer? Not during those 400 years. He didn't answer that prayer. So the logical conclusion is, well, things are getting worse. God's not with us. Um, Of course, they get to the time when Moses shows up. He challenges the Pharaoh. There's the plagues. You can read about those. Uh, The last plague was the most significant, though. I believe it was the 10th. It was called the death angel. And that night, if you didn't spread blood around your door, the death angel was going to take your oldest, oldest male child. Uh, didn't matter if you were Egyptian or Israelites. Uh, so, what happened that night? Pharaoh didn't obviously spread the blood around his door. His oldest child died, which would be the successor to him. That's what they did with kings and pharaohs. And at this point, Pharaoh says, get out of here. I had enough of you. In fact, I love how God works. Uh, They paid them to leave. They gave them riches to take with them when they left. So that Passover meal was their last meal as slaves in Egypt. So it's a time to remember that. And so Jesus got his disciples together. They'd been together for three plus years. It's probably the third time they did this for um, the Passover. 
their biggest holiday. <clears throat> now, Jesus and his ministry had grown and grown and had lots of followers, but at this point, uh, it was getting dangerous. Uh, the the uh, Jewish leaders, the, the church people, the temple, they were really trying hard to get rid of Jesus. And in fact, we're going to see they were going to be successful. And so the, the crowd had turned against them, momentum had gone away, and it was just dangerous to be in Jerusalem. So Jesus is going in and out, and uh, he has to come into Jerusalem to do the Passover meal. And if you were, I'm going to imagine us being disciples at, at, present at the time. If you're one of the disciples, you're thinking, uh, why are we going into Jerusalem when it's so dangerous? And uh, we're thinking, if God is with us, things should be getting better, but, you know, this movement's going downhill. It's getting dangerous, and we're, we're losing traction. We're losing uh, people. We're losing followers. So why? Why would Jesus want to do this? In fact, does he have a death wish? And kind of did, didn't he? Uh, and they didn't know where it was going to happen. Now, as we read the, we're going to skip that part. If you read the story, though, uh, somehow Jesus had arranged for this meal. And he sent some of his disciples, say, disciples in the town and says, hey, uh, meet this guy and he's going to make arrangements or I've already made arrangements to have this meal. But there was very little certainty in their lives about what the future would hold and being Jesus followers and what was going to happen to Jesus. Same so things didn't look very good. They looked like they were getting worse. And on top of that, then we have the account we're going to read. It's in Mark chapter 14 of what happened in the upper room. And Mark's account is this, uh, starting in verse 17. <clears throat> in the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Passover meal, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Now, this, is going to, this term, this phrase is going to show up three or four times. Uh, it's going to think, wait a minute, Jesus, do you lie sometimes? And of course he didn't. He's just re-emphasizing the fact that what I'm telling you is going to happen. I tell you the truth, 100%, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> One of you eating with me here will betray me. Twelve disciples, right? Three and a half years together. One of you sitting here, or laying here, they kind of recline as they ate, uh, eating with me is going to betray me. Now, things seem pretty bad. We're risking our lives even being in Jerusalem, and now, Jesus, you're telling me that one of us, I know it's not me, but so it's got to be one of these other 11 guys, right? And the guy that, that was knew who he, who he was. But this was kind of an insult on top of insult because especially for Passover, even in that culture, eating together was a very intimate activity, even for us today. We... You know, we gather family and friends around us for uh, meals like Thanksgiving. <clears throat> so this was a huge insult to Jesus that this betrayer was sharing this meal with him. But the reality is, was, is Jesus ever wrong <laughs> about what he, he said anything? Uh, of course not. Of course, as a disciple, what's your reaction going to be? Greatly distressed. Each one ask in turn, am I the one? I don't think I am. 
And, of course, Judas knew he was, and I'm assuming he didn't <laughs> let on. Uh, but look at each other. Uh, I'm sure it's not me. And, you know, John and Peter and different ones. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's not me, but Jesus said this. It's got to be true. One of us is going to betray him. And then, of course, Jesus replies, <clears throat> It is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. One of the reasons it was kind of intimate was kind of, they shared a bowl. It's kind of like double dipping. We don't like that. Uh, that's kind of the way they ate, even today in the Middle East. For the Son of Man must die. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus. You know, we, we're, we're your followers. We're th- you're going to set up your kingdom. Things are going to get better. Uh, what's this about dying? Now, he would said this before, uh, but they kind of didn't want to hear it. And then he adds, as the scripture declared long ago. So this was way back when people were predicting this was going to happen and the time is here. And if you know your scriptures, what they should have known, they're Old Testament. Uh, Depending on how you read it, uh, the Messiah is going to have to die. But how terrible it would be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Of course, we're talking about Judas. So God predicted this. It had to happen. Um, so we're talking about such great uncertainty. How much certainty do we have today? I mean, life is uncertain anyway. None of us knows what's going to happen in the future. But what's going to happen, the kind of the election, I, I think, are pretty much decided. Some of you may disagree. Uh, but then even so, what's... what's the, Whoever's new people or old people are in power, what are they going to do? We don't know. What's the economy going to do? Uh, COVID can, is getting worse. How long is it going to last? What effects are it going to have? There's just so much uncertainty. Uh, family with kids, this, the schooling from home, distance learning thing has been such a struggle for parents and kids. So much uncertainty. So are things getting better and better? Does that mean God's not with us because they're not getting better and better? So I'm going to give you some uh, proof, uh, biblical proof, examples of biblical proof uh, to support my uh, early, early statement. And here it is. Every, you might not say every, well, let's use many biblical narratives that we draw hope and security from come from troubled times. From the lives of people who discovered that in the midst of uncertainty, like now, God was still certain. God was still trustworthy. Even when we can't see how it seems to make sense that he would. Now, I'm going to give you some pretty radical examples from Scripture. Let's start with Joseph, guy in the Old Testament. Way back in the book of Genesis. Uh, Some of you know the story. Uh, He's the 10th or 11th of 10... uh, Ten children at the time, it would be, or maybe at this time, there's 12 of them. He had a younger brother. Um, the, the problem was they went to all the same uh, mothers. <laughs> they all had the same dad, but not the same mothers. And Joseph happened to be the first child of the favorite wife. <laughs> That's always sound, <laughs> is a basis for trouble, right? <clears throat> when we have favorites. So he's his favorite son. And on top of that, as a teenager, he's telling his older brothers, one day you're going to bow down to me. <laughs> I've got this, these visions. 
Now, I'm an older brother. I have uh, two younger brothers, and I can imagine how a younger, I would take that if a younger brother told me that. Well, we don't know how he was telling it, but evidently teenagers can be pretty um, annoying, if that's the right word. So they get to the point where we've got to get rid of this guy. I can't imagine wanting to kill your sibling, but anyway, that's what they decided they were going to do. Last minute, they changed their mind and sold him into slavery instead. <laughs> so this 16, 17-year-old boy that God had promised that his brother's going to bow down to is now a slave off in a distant country. And not just for a few days, a few weeks, but years. And then on top of that, somewhere along the line, he uh, is lied about and winds up in prison. And so from the time this Joseph character is 16, 17 years old to the time he's at least 30 years old, he's either a slave or a prisoner. And the prisons weren't nice back then like they are today. Now, you would say, oh, God must not have been with him, right? That certainly wouldn't have happened to him. If somebody, God blesses the people that are obedient to him. Best we can tell, he was faithful. He was obedient. Um, most of you know the story. He winds up as the second most powerful person in the world. And his brothers do wind up bowing down to him. And then the father dies, and the, kids, the, the brothers are, are concerned that Joseph is going to get his revenge. Because that's certainly what you would do, right? And it's this verse I love in, in, in Genesis, into Genesis. Joseph says to his brothers, relax. I'm not going to seek revenge. You meant this for evil. God meant this for good. Saved all your lives and hundreds of thousands of other people's lives because I was able to predict this famine that was going to come. And the Pharaoh listened to me. So was God in that? Imagine if it was you. Moses had some parents, obviously. And the Pharaoh at that point <laughs> decided there's too many Jewish boys being born. We're going to kill them all. And so Moses' parents had a decision to make. Oh, I can't hide this child anymore. Pharaoh's army is going to find it and kill our son. So they put the baby, or not be Moses, in a basket in the, in the river, probably now river, and prayed for the best. Again, it's amazing how God works. Uh, somebody from Pharaoh's family finds the boy, decides to raise it in Pharaoh's home, and for the first 40 years of his life, Moses gets raised in the palace. <laughs> his education is paid for. Uh, turn of events you can read about. He winds up the next 40 years in the desert, and then God calls him to, again, to bring about the events that Jesus and the disciples are celebrating on the, in that upper room. So is God in that? Was God with him? Was God with his parents? David, talk, a lot could talk about King David. But at one point in King David's life, he's done some unethical things, <clears throat> But at one point, his son decides to revolt and wants to kill his father and take over the kingdom. <laughs> and so David runs for his life. I don't know what kind of children, child issues you have, 
but I don't think you have a child trying to kill you. Hopefully you don't. But that was the case with, with David. Again, was God with him before that and not after that? Or was he at, with him after that? Can you imagine again? And Mary and Joseph, they have a baby. Kind of reminiscent of Moses' parents. They have a baby. The king finds out that a baby has been born is going to be the new king and you're the king and you don't want somebody else taking your kingdom away from you so we just kill all the babies, <laughs> uh, males. And the parents again had a decision so they take off and they run. Where do they go? All places, Egypt, until it was safe to come back. Was God in that? Can you imagine make, having to make that decision? Was God in that when things got worse? So as we read the stories and discover that God was right there in the middle of all that, Joseph's situation, Moses' parents' situation, King David's situation, Joseph and Mary's situation. And that somehow he still had the whole world in his hand. He still had it under control. He still was bringing about good. So, again, nothing new. Nothing has changed. We're 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. I would suggest to you, God still has the whole world in his hands. He did thousands of years ago, and 2,000 years ago, as we're going to see, and I would say to you, suggest to you that he still does. So back to our story at Upper Room, Last Supper, we call it. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it, part of the Passover meal. He broke it in pieces and gave it to disciples, saying, now, here's where it, varies, it changes. 1,400 years they've been celebrating it this way. Jesus is going to change it. He says, take it, for this is my body. And if you're sitting there as one of the disciples, what do you think? What are you talking about, Jesus? This is part of our Passover meal. This is what we're celebrating. What are you talking about? This is your body. This is the Passover bread. He goes on. He says, he took a cup of wine. He gave thanks to God for it. Uh, the Passover meal had normally f uh, four drinkings of wine. I don't know if they drank four glasses of wine, but they drank from the wine four different times. And uh, <clears throat> this experts believe this is the third uh, tasting of the wine. So um, they drank from it. <clears throat> he gave it to them and drank from it. And they said to them, this is my blood. You know, some churches teach that it literally was his blood, but we believe it's symbolic of blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. Okay, not spelling it out here, but I'm going to die. <laughs> and this is proof. This is covenant. The Bible says God's rules are without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So my blood is going to have to be shed. And then he said it is poured out. I'm sacrificing it. I'm offering it, pouring it out as a sacrifice for many. We don't like the word sacrifice. We don't like sacrifice anything. We had to sacrifice so much because of COVID. We don't like it. We're not comfortable with it. And Jesus said, I'm going to sacrifice. One's going to sacrifice for the many, the greater good. Then he uses that phrase again. I tell you the truth. You can believe this. I don't ever lie, but especially now I'm telling you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn. We talked about that last week. Singing is always a part of worship. And they went out to the Mount of Olives. So, if things weren't bad enough when they 
disciples went into the upper room with Jesus, they're certainly looking a lot worse now, don't they? So they go out into the garden, and in the garden, what happens? Judas comes. He had left earlier. Judas comes with the soldiers. They arrest Jesus, and all the disciples run away. But as they're walking there, what's Jesus say to them? On the way, way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. You just told us one of us was going to betray you. Now you're telling us all of us are going to desert you? And he said, well, again, prophesied in Scripture. You should know this. Scripture says God will strike the shepherd. I'm the shepherd, Jesus. And the sheep will be scattered. You're the sheep. <clears throat> but after I am raised from the dead. Now, I, disciples didn't hear much past after you're going to die. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Messiahs don't die. Um, this is messing up all our plans because <laughs> we're going to be your followers when you set up your kingdom. He said, I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'll go ahead of you into Galilee, which is <clears throat> about 90 miles north of Jerusalem, and I'll meet you there. Oh, okay. Now, at this point, it looks like Jesus is lost, Satan is won, God is lost, the Messiah is going to be killed, and that's going to be it. <clears throat> but you say you're going to meet us? But you're dying. But you're going to be raised from the dead. That, uh, you did raise Lazarus, but that's kind of hard to believe. And I can imagine the disciples, Jesus, this is enough. Enough of this negativity. Enough of this, uh, you know, you're going to die and the, you know, your cause is going to be over because that's what happens when, when your leader dies. So Peter, like usual, Peter's the one who speaks up and he says to him, now, Peter had a habit of correcting Jesus, like you and I do. Anytime we don't agree with something we read in the Bible, or some preacher says, uh, if he's pe- preaching the truth, uh, we're telling Jesus he's wrong. Well, that's what Peter's saying to his face. And he said, wait a minute. I don't know about everybody else, but even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Strong reaction. Probably you and I would probably be feeling the same way. If we'd say the same thing, but, you know, I've been following you all this time. I'm not going to stop just because this is supposed to happen. So Jesus says again, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, not two weeks from now, not two months from now. This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny, not just once, Three times that you ever knew me. And if you read the story, it's going to be a teenage girl. Of course, Peter can't believe it. He says, no. Declare, declare it emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never, again, there's that word, never deny you. Of course, we all have denied him one way or another. And all the others, of course, vowed the same. No, 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 we're not, none of us are going to do that. And of course, can you imagine the humiliation for Peter later that night when this came true? And if you read the scripture, it says he went away and wept bitterly. He couldn't trust, they didn't trust what Jesus, what he, said he was, what he said was going to happen, would happen. So my question to you is, to all of us, can you, Trust God. When it doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence, I mean, the pandemic's getting worse, 
who knows what's going to happen in the economy. Some of us aren't happy with the results of the election. Uh, what's going to happen is uh, there. Um, it seems devastating to the church. Hardly anybody's back in church, going to church. But our response or answer to that question determines our response. Now, most of the time, I have my bad days, but most of the time, okay, God, you got this. In fact, I'm almost anxious in a good way to find out, okay, God, how are you going to, <laughs> you know, how's your church going to be your church after, or as we go through this and after this? See, the Bible isn't a, a book about, well, tack of uh, uh, theology, but about prosperity, is it? Four illustrations I gave, the situation didn't really, they weren't very prosperous, were they? It's not about, hey, you're going to be get married and have a wonderful life, your kids are going to grow up and always do what's right and get into the best colleges and get the best jobs and you'll have a good job and be able to retire with all the money you want and live up to be 100 and then just die in your sleep. That's not what the book talks about, is it? <laughs> That's not what life is. Yeah, so I'm, I was trying to imagine what uh, somebody coming to disciples, some, maybe some years later, and asking this, these two questions. Hey, guys, when was the darkest moment as you followed Jesus? And I'm guessing their response is going to say, well, that was the last 24 hours of his life. I mean, it was dicey as we went to the upper room, and then Jesus gets there and he starts talking about dying and us deserting him and betraying him and all this stuff. And then within 24 hours, he's, he's been crucified. He's dead. And then the next couple of days, wondering, what are we going to do? That was the darkest moment. So the second question is, then where, in your time with Jesus, let me ask you this question. Do you think God was doing his greatest work? When he was raising Lazarus from the dead or, you know, making that great wine at the wedding feast. <laughs> when, when was his greatest work? And I, I can't imagine disciples saying anything else. Well, that last day of his life here on earth. When he suffered and died for the salvation of mankind. Darkest hours. Obviously, definitely, greatest work. And I understand life is uncertain. Consequently, it makes it difficult. The more uncertainty, the more difficult it is. But like with Peter, God takes broken things and does his most amazing work. Now, if I'm Jesus, Peter's the last guy I'm going to say, hey, I think you need to be the one that preached the first sermon <laughs> after the Holy Spirit comes. That's what Peter did. That's who God chose. That's who Jesus chose. Another way of saying it is the greatest things begin in the biggest messes. But we don't think that way, do we? We think messes are messes. Things are bad. Things are going to get worse. But it's only, maybe it's only in our brokenness that God can work. So, question. Will we maintain faith? when we can't see his hand. But it's hard to see it now, isn't it? And some of you may have, you know, personal things I don't know about, health issues, financial issues. 
and you're just thinking, where is God? Now, it's obviously sometimes our faith is tested. It may waver. And I understand, you know, this is preacher talk. This is what preachers are supposed to get up here and say, right? And it's not going to help you get through whatever crisis you're going through necessarily. Maybe you have a prodigal, prodigal child or prodigal grandchild or some financial issue or health issue or something. Pastor, this isn't helping me tomorrow. Well, I'm not the one that has to decide that. Although life is uncertain, it always has been, always will be, just seems more uncertain right now. God's not. And we may be trying to hang on with by our fingertips or our fingernails as we go on through, these, through this uncertain time. But hold on. Because you know what happens when we let go? We make dumb decisions that have negative ramifications for our future. But let's hold on. Keep an eye on your outline. Keep an eye out for the activity of God. I had, he may, I'm going to say, he will take you by surprise. He does in the Bible. If you go back and if you're a Jesus follower, if you go back to your history, we all can say, he took me by surprise there. He took me by surprise there. Now, a verse we're going to get to in two weeks that most churchgoers know, uh, but we really don't believe it, even though we can quote it, unfortunately. And it's Romans 8, 28. And we know. And the question is, do we really know? Because if we really know, <laughs> we wouldn't be struggling so much. Do we know that God causes everything? Does that include COVID? Does that include, a, depending on your the, uh, political, you know, a Democratic president or whatever you want to call it? Does it include my health issue? Does it include my financial issue? Does it include my problems with my kids or my grandkids? My problem with my spouse? What's it say? It says everything, right? So do you and I really know that God causes it? Now, they're not good things, but he causes them to work together for good, like Joseph and like Moses' parents and like King David and like Mary and Joseph. Not for everybody, but for those that are Jesus followers. They're called according to his purpose. The problem is it takes a while. That's it, isn't it? Year, 400 years for the Israelites. None of us knows the future. Although life is uncertain, God is not. That's the wonderful thing about being a Jesus follower, isn't it? Life's uncertain for everybody. But God is not. So I encourage you to embrace the faithfulness of God. He was faithful 3,000 years ago. He was faithful 2,000 years ago. He was faithful last year, and he's still faithful today. But back to that brokenness thing. I think that's important. We don't have time to talk about it anymore this morning, but here's your take-home. What you want to really think about this. Take some time to think about this. What amazing work has God done in and through your brokenness? One simple illustration, I didn't share this in the first service. Thirteenth year of marriage, my wife is here. Our marriage wasn't good. I mean, there wasn't any, you know, we weren't messing around with anybody else. We just didn't like each other. We had four kids. And so, 
I think we had to get to the place of brokenness, the place we'd go to counseling, the place we'd work on things we thought, especially as a pastor, I think, marriage should be easy, right? I should know how to do this. I'm a pastor. And it wasn't. And now we have a fantastic marriage. And a lot of work. It was hard. But it started with brokenness. So I don't know what brokenness you've experienced. Maybe you're bro- brokenness now. What amazing work has God done or what amazing work will God do through your brokenness? Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. We thank you that you're a God that still has the whole world in his hands, no matter what it may look like. And we can walk with assurance, walk by faith, even though we can't see. And God, it's, it's a challenge to see how your church is going to survive, even survive, much less prosper, because of COVID. And the situation in our country and in our culture, morality is decreasing. Uh, belief in the Bible is decreasing. God, you still got this. And when our faith wavers, we pray, God, help our unbelief. Increase our faith. And for anyone that's not a Jesus follower, I'm sure you're really struggling with the uncertainty of today. And you too can have certainty in these uncertain times. Just trust the one that was willing to love you enough and willing to die for you so you could have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, We pray for you. We pray for each of us as we uh, represent Jesus or we anticipate a relationship with Jesus. God, we thank you for the examples of Scripture. We thank you for the encouragement they bring. We know that you're with us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.